Blanc, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cody Vladimir Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. I'm here with who I guess I can jokingly refer to as the biggest members of my fan club. Um, I'm definitely the biggest members of their fan club, um, if they had one yet. Here with the folks from Chateau Tumbleweed. Uh, if you guys could go around and introduce yourselves. I'm Joe Bashar. I'm Chris Cotier. Jeff Hendricks. Kim Koistinen. And so what's your role in Chateau Tumbleweed? <laughs> uh, Joe is the winemaker. Chris is the salesperson? Question mark? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Just branding and yeah. everything looks our face. You no, know, it doesn't really lend it. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many roles. But yeah, I guess I'd need uh, some design work, some web work, a little fruit location or fruit procuring or something. Admin and accounting. Mm. Boring. Yeah, number crunchers. Yeah. So, I lost my train of thought already. This is not good. So, what was kind of the, the genesis behind Chateau Tumbleweed? Why the awesome name? And mm. I mean, everyone, when you hear Chateau, thinks, you know, massive estates or, you know, whatever, or like the type of thing that's in California. And then Tumbleweed is just like whimsical and almost magical. It's true. Do you want me to start and then someone else will go? Go for it. Well, we decided we needed to come up with our name. We, we were already making wine and we knew that we needed to really try to figure out what we would be called. And came up with some silly stuff, but then we decided on, we made a deadline for ourselves and we drove up to the White Mountains and stayed in this really nice place and drank a lot of wine and ate some lasagna. And on the way there, we hashed through so many things and we came up with the idea of tumbleweed because we all came to town without really meaning to. And we just blew in and we kind of got stuck in the wine industry. And then, uh, I, Joe, you should take over at yeah, some point. You were doing well. <laughs> at some point in the late evening when we were pretty j- drunk, Jeff was kind of staring off into space and he said, what if we put a chateau in front of it and we all just lost it? It was perfect. <laughs> and it, was, it, there, it, it sunk it right there. It was perfect. So what's all of your guys' background in the Arizona wine industry? Uh, we all kind of got our start uh, in the same place at Page Spring Cellars. Uh, Chris was actually the first tasting room attendant there in '04, mm-hmm. and that then right. right when Chris was leaving, I left the Sedona Red Rock News and and went to work in the cellar there and spent five years there. And that's where I met Kim and Jeff. Kim started probably yeah, we, a couple of years after me. We both started in 2008 and left recently. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been then, you know, Joe's bopped around a little bit more after that, and Chris as well, and um, Mm -hmm. Kim and I basically just page springs. So we've kind of done our time, and now trying to do our own thing, see how it goes. So where are you guys sourcing your fruit? Southeast Arizona currently, but I know Jeff's got some, his hands on some other fruit that's northern. Yeah, we uh, yeah we should be getting a little bit of northern Arizona fruit from uh, the Dancing Apache Ranch. They're they're willing to sell us a little bit of fruit, so we're excited about that. Um, but otherwise, it's it's Wilcox, but it's a Cimarron Vineyard. We've got it from Fort Bowie in the past, Lawrence Dunham. Uh, oh, and yeah, Rolling View's been a kind of a yeah every year mainstay there, and Pillsbury. Yeah, I've probably dabbled in most of them there. Dragoon. Dragoon's a huge mm-hmm. one. Gosh, I can't, yeah. Yeah. The RNAs for drinking now. There's yeah. eight different vineyards that, that we work with yeah. in 13. Yeah. We, yeah, we've been really fortunate. Everyone's wanted to give us just a little ton here and there, so 
it's been a really nice spice kit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Getting fruit from up here is pretty hard to do. Still, most people who grow up here have their hands on it and want to keep it for themselves. Yeah, it's just not that much. Right. In comparison to Wilcox. No, not not really. Or even Sonoida, for that matter. And there are, people, really... there are people willing to sell you fruit down in Wilcox. You know, they have excess. And, and, you know, if you are nice enough and pleasant enough with them, they'll sell you a little bit of fruit <laughs> here and there. We're not yeah. mean and we pay on time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus, we like to put the vineyards on the back of our labels because we understand how important the fruit is. I mean, we have definitely aspirations to have our own vineyards at some point and Jeff is one of the you know few people who understands how to grow Arizona fruit for a lot of years. Been around a lot of different vineyards too. So we've got a secret ace in the hole. <laughs> Where would you guys want to grow? Down in Wilcox like everyone else or a mix of Wilcox and here or? I think we'd like to be up here primarily. Yeah. yeah. It's a little more expensive and probably maybe a little riskier but I'd much rather be up here if yeah, there's some cheaper land up here. I mean, it's not Wilcox cheap, but it's still worth the dream. And we it's don't have to grow our whole production. Like, even if we had a third of ours as a state, that would be great, and we could still keep up the relationships that we have established. What's your opinion of uh, the Chino Valley scene? I don't know too much about that. I mean, I yeah, I think it's probably a, maybe a little riskier area to grow than here, but, I mean, not out of the realms of, you know, pa, I mean... It's not that much higher altitude. It's um, a little smarter about what you plant, but yeah, it's still untested as far as I'm aware. For yeah. sure, like the Painted Ladies, is that what they're called? They're painted Lady and Del Rio Springs are the two... That have been doing it the longest, right? Well, yeah. Granite yeah. Mountain, Granite Mountain has been around for or Granite Creek has been, but they do it organic, so it's really hard to determine how that fruit ages, because you know, the minute you get that bottle open, it goes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested. The Dewey area sounds, you know, Cherry Road, kind of out in uh, 179. Um, Wasn't there a guy growing or... there years ago? Orman? Oh, you mean the garlic guy? Is that here? No, he's not in that area. The Orm family owns a lot of that. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about that. What's the old fellow? Sin. Oh, man, no, I can't remember. It'll come to me. Too late. <laughs> It's okay, you'll just interject it randomly later. Yeah, yeah I'll just scream, scream it. it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's a lot of energy up there, though, and there's a lot of activity, but, you know, it's a lot of new vineyards and, and people getting ideas up there, and we'll see how it works. Yeah. So going to high elevation, you know, it's a little more challenging. It can be done. They do it in Colorado. They do it in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. So going to the guy who grows, Verde Valley versus Wilcox. What grows better here in the Verde? What grows better down in Wilcox? Oh, Have man. you found that there's a massive difference? or No, I, not really. It seems like it's... Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think the devil's going to be in the details, some of these newer varietals. I mean, I think we've already kind of like got some judgment on Syrah, Petite Syrah, Grenache, some of the, you know, the mainstays in the state. And they all seem to do pretty well all over the state um yeah that's a tough one well the Verde valley is kind of a diverse region you know there's some cold areas here it's a lot more diverse than wilcox which is just kind of a big flat bowl for the most part unless you get up into the foothills with some of those, those yeah that's a really good point yeah there's a lot we got you know and, and there's a lot of untested area i don't know there's a lot of room to grow here but there's all kinds of just here in clarkdale if you could grow grapes man there's some neat foothills that who knows what you could do there and 
Yeah. I think you could get a lot of similar character to Wilcox over here compared to you know, the Big Springs area. Valley that seems to be so much cooler and yeah. a little more restrained fruit. Yeah, it's kind of more wilder vineyards here, I guess, around, you know, these crazy mountainsides. And, yeah, yeah, but even, even House Mountain, for instance, like, yeah. I'd like to see what that's like, because it's got to be a little warmer up there, but a little more sun exposure, but still yeah. chilly. I don't know. I think there's there's a lot to experiment with up here. Where Wilcox, it seems to be, there's some similar characters and a lot of the fruit from different vineyards, you know, I think you can kind of, you know what to expect a little more from those guys, maybe. But I can't yeah. speak for Sonoma Elgin, which is a totally different yeah. region also. And that's one of the areas that I'm not as familiar about either. Mm -hmm. Same with us. I don't, I don't, I've never worked with any fruit from No, I've heard, I heard that Syrah isn't, you know, a home run hitter there. It doesn't grow super great there. That's, I don't know, that's totally unverified, but that's just... The general consensus I've gotten from everyone there is that Petite Verdot is probably one of the best reds. Mm -hmm. There, Callaghan I know has had success with it. As has, um, I want to say her name is Anne from um, Lightning Ridge. Yeah. And then you know, Lord knows what Callahan is going to plant there. I'm looking forward to that because mm -hmm. he's a pretty crazy, awesome renegade winemaker. They seem like they get a little choppier <laughs> weather there than Wilcox too. Yeah, they... That's true. They seem they to get hit by hail like every four mm -hmm. or five years. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, they just got wasted by frost in there. Was that yeah, they did. No, Wilcox, from what I heard, when I put the, the poll out, Wilcox seemed to do fine, and then Sonoyne and Elgin was very spotty. Hops and Vines did okay. Um, Flying Leap got nuked. Oh, no. Um, I didn't hear anything from Kent, um, or Anne, for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, those are the only two other people that I know well enough to talk to really down there. What's his name? Keith Manning? Yeah, I wonder how he's right there, too. I don't know. Yeah. But probably since Flying Leap didn't do so well, he's right next door. Right next door, yeah. They seem to get, they just get rougher bands going through there for some Yeah, it's reason. like such an interesting open area. It's, it's really dramatic right there. Yeah. Elgin kind of makes me think a little bit of Rohan. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, except, you know, the Rohirrim never grew grapes as far as I'm aware. Is that sci-fi? Is that fantasy? <laughs> Technically. <laughs> so we have you know sort of normal names for wines from you guys like the Arnaeus and then we have names that obviously will make some sense in context like Little Franchi which is Petite Fr Petite Franc wow pretty much mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's Petite Franc uh, Petite Verdot and uh, Cabernet Franc and then you've got crazy names like the Bigness so what kind of goes into the naming of your wines yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of this sitting around the table with wine and drinking and talking about the wine. And... Yeah, we just like each other. We've been hanging out for years. That's how we made Chateau Tumbleweed. It's not often that you meet a couple of people that you like to be around enough that you get to the point where you make fancy jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jokes, yeah. Sometimes Chris will have a, a rough drawing and we'll try to match a name to the drawing yeah. and to the match the drawing to the wine or vice versa we have a wine that we really wanted to be drawing for well, we had the couple names preceded and the fancy foreign language blend and the bigness were well before they were even a thought like those, yeah, those, those have been in the notebook forever those yeah. names might have you know predated tumbleweed they like. might have, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I've been taking notes. Jeff always <laughs> lets out one-liners when he's had a little scotch. <laughs> Kim screams out strange stuff. Joe's been key to screaming out strange stuff. And I happen to have a weird imagination, so I'm always trying to write everything down because lots of things that these three say are flights of fancy for the imagination. It's pretty awesome. But we did use the same premise as coming up with our name for naming the wines the first time. And we went and found a little cabin and drank and ate and went through the naming process and it was super fun. Yeah, and I think we're quite happy to not, you know, if, if we don't make the same wine the next year, we're very happy to do that. And, yeah. And, Yep. We get too hung up on making the same wine every year, and we want to have different characters and different tastes, yeah. and whatever happens that year happens. Yeah, try to keep it open, you know, just let the wine speak for itself and let, keep the creativity open on all levels. But we also like to talk about the single varietal. That's why we don't tend to name it or mask it with a name. It's just nice to be able for people to be able to say, oh, you know how people are, they like a single varietal for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know it's, what it it's is. It's interesting yeah. also when you compare, <laughs> by and large, Arizona wine mm -hmm. to California or even New Mexico, for that matter, from my limited experience with New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Everyone does more or less single varietals right. in California. From what I've, little I've seen in New Mexico, it's also almost always single varietals. Mm -hmm. In Arizona, it's that European, almost Portuguese, Italian, less so Greece, but also Spain, Let's throw our wines together in a blend. Mm -hmm. And France does that too. You very rarely will find, say, a Rhone single varietal Grenache or Syrah. It's always right. blended with, you know, like Chateauneuf de Pop. It's blended with everything. Right. Even some whites. It's, yeah, shit, let's throw some Roussan in it. Why the hell not? Mm -hmm. And it's just always struck me as very interesting how Arizona has kind of done that perspective. On its own, yeah, on its own. Yeah. It wasn't like they were driven that way. It's just like it was. It's just like. I mean, it makes me wonder if it's because we're sandwiched in between those two, let's do it. <laughs> the extremes. The, you know. It's, I think, I think it's, it's, it's yeah. also a really experimental state where there are, you know, there are a lot of varietals planted. Like, look at McLaughlin's Vineyard, it's 60 varietals or something. It's still so, not enough as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, <laughs> but there, there's a lot of different things to play with. So suddenly you find yourself in the cellar with Grenache, Syrah, Morvedra, you know, what what are you logically going to do? You're like, oh, I'm going to see how these taste together. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to play with these guys, and so I I think there's a lot of that, and I also think there's I definitely have the attitude of why not make the best wine you can, and sometimes it's neat to see a Syrah by itself, but I think you can make a way more interesting wine sometimes by mixing in different components of you know light and dark and spice and you know there's all kinds of different palettes, you know, colors to add from your palette. No, no, I was just thinking, it's funny when you serve wine, people are so hell-bent on a single varietal, Sorry. and then they, they wonder, like, they think that blending is new, and it's such a funny concept, because yeah, yeah. it's so old. Well, and there's a lot of people who will reject a wine because it's a blend, and I think that's just a shame, because some of the best wines in the world are yeah. are blends, and, and personally, I, I, I lean towards our blends more often than the single varietals because I know that there was some thought put into accenting this and playing off of that. And Speaking for me personally, I kind of go for both. The reason why I like single varietals is if it's a varietal I've never encountered before, it'll allow me to get to know that varietal so that way I can pick it out in a blend. So in the sense I go for single varietals only to understand blends. Right. Yeah, that makes um, sense. 
So that way I can kind of, you know, it helps me to kind of intelligently parse a wine. Because parsing a wine is like, it reminds me of the years I took Latin where we took a sentence and like, okay, you got to parse everything. What's this word? What tense? What blah, 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 blah. Right. So by drinking single varietal wines, it allows me to kind of understand what that wine is, what it does, what its role in a blend will be. And a great example of this is Arizona Rhone blends. We don't have Carignan here. Instead, for the tannic red that we put in, we use Petite Syrah in all these Rhone blends so far as far as... As far as I'm aware, no one's growing Carignan. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Someone had some. No, not this date. No, uh, Lavatan has uh, Senso, right? Yeah, we never got it. No, I haven't We've been to Carignan. Carignan's one of my favorite grapes. Joe sourced world. it from New Mexico a few mm. times. But I have not met any in Arizona, no. But yeah, so instead, here, unless we're getting it from New Mexico like you guys are, we're using Petite Syrah, which has that same sort of tannic background, to me anyway. Mm -hmm. It's just really interesting how we've kind of, again, our palates are thinking along that same line and finding a grape that fits in that, that mold. I think Carignan would grow great out here. It should. I believe it's, yeah. a little, it's a little on the later side ripening, but We've talked about it a lot. A it's definitely yeah. on our wish list. Yeah, I think it was like thinner skin. I mean, it might be, need to be babied a little mm -hmm. bit, but uh, maybe worth it. So, well, great. We're going to jump ahead like 20 questions, because you mentioned the wish list. Uh -huh. uh, so if you had your acreage, what would you like to grow? Secondary question to that, are there any grapes that aren't being grown in Arizona yet that you want to see grown here? Albarino is yeah. my number one vote. White, that's yeah. what you want. Albs. The Albs. <laughs> the Albs. I mean, right, right now there's a lot, there are a lot of things planted. Carignan. Definitely would love to see more Carignan. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Corvina, <laughs> Uni Blanc. <laughs> well, I know Jason's planted Corvina, so it'll be about three more years before we know what that's, that's going to do. I know oh, Jeff's been great. slowly compiling a list, but I think it. I think a lot of the components are things that you understand how to grow and think grow really well here. Yeah, so. and my my list is more like crazy. Like, what could what would be timed right, what grows well. Yeah. Like it always is cross-referenced with somebody who's, you know, seeking the wine in the back end, who's looking for that mm -hmm. end product, you know, and then, because, um, I don't know, I kind of think about what does well more than, you know. What tastes well. Right, right, yeah. right. It's kind of the detachment. Yeah, that's the challenge, all right, getting you two to, like, coalesce. Well, certainly some of the later, <laughs> really? ri some yeah. of the later yeah. ripeners are a bit yeah. of a gamble, I think, in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. definitely is a gamble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's such a cool, it's funny because... Morvedra's, Morvedra's yeah, been ripe a lot of times. Until, like, the end of October. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes cab can be a yeah. challenge, you know, you're just waiting and waiting definitely. for color. And There's some strange Italian varietals. There's a fellow that I know who's... Uh, brother and sister propagate a, an Italian red that I can't remember the name of. It's a strange. Anyway, he's offered some cuttings. Oh, uh, nice. Coming from California, from a colder growing area. Um, I'm sure we'll source strange stuff. And, I mean, yeah. Grease varietal should do yeah, good yeah. here. We've talked about Portuguese a lot for color. Yeah. Tinta Cow and Cezao. Tariga. Tariga, yep. I've been. Recently, getting big on Georgian varietals and. Ooh, explain. See, what? How about you? Do you have any strange? Yes. Um, <laughs> my wish list is almost exclusively populated by Greek and Georgian varietals. Wow. Do you see that article that that's where the wine started two thousand years? Yeah. Ago, or like we thought. Which is again one of the one of the Georgian grapes makes to not look light. 
Or it was uh, just so inky. So inky. Literally, the name Saparavi means ink. Saparavi is such a nice word. So here's the thing about Saparavi. It is drought tolerant, mm-hmm. cold tolerant, heat tolerant, mm-hmm. mid to late budding, mid to late. I mean, mm-hmm. you you run the risk of it there. But other than that, on paper, it seems perfect. Nice. Yeah. I think it would be good, especially in Wilcox. I think it would also be good here. Maybe not as good in Sonoida, but I think that that could be, well, a really great grape for Arizona. Nice. Ragiorotikio, I've been thinking about a lot, but it's prone to suffering from potassium deficiency, which is a problem we have in Arizona from what I've been talking to. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of off the list now, but Zenomavro still is. And Zenomavro literally means sour, dark. The best way I could describe the taste of a Zenomavro, it's kind of like a half Syrah, half Nebbiolo blend. Ooh. That um, sounds like a nice thing. Yeah, it, it is. Sagrantino I want to see more of. Mm-hmm. I know uh, Rob Hummelman planted some, but... Oh. I've got to assume Maynard's got some plant. Yeah, too. for sure. He's I've been heard talking that. about it for years. He has. It's so been coming out of his mouth. He's got to have some Elefante. Yeah, I bet. I don't know his varietal list over there, but I know he put some pretty obscure Italian varietals mm-hmm. in the ground. I haven't seen any Sagrantino on his list, but of course I've never talked to the man really. He's so. been talking we about it for years. With him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, the day that happens is the day I get to film it because it would be so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <I> like it. <laughs> so we've got Zanomavro, Saparavi. Um, for whites, Alberino is on my list, mostly yeah, to prove sure. a point to one of my exes. Um, <laughs> the reason being is that if she was a grape, she would be Alberino because it grows great by the sea. And her argument for why we broke up, because she was a marine biologist, is like, I can't be away from the ocean. Right. So if I take this bottle of Alberino and show her and it's good, I'll be like, hey. I'm not by the sea. I'm not by the sea. The Salvarino, that's your gripe, is you great. You can be a marine biologist in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's kind of all fallen by the wayside with recent I'm relationship I'm standing on the that. goddamn seafloor. Yeah. How much more marine can you get? Which is interesting because you almost get sometimes on the nose of a lot of Arizona wines, especially here in the Verde Valley, sort of like sea salt. I get that, for sure, yeah. And then going back to the wish list, Albrino, um, Mishketli, and Rusketli, which are Georgian whites. I'd like to see more Arnaise. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I would like to see more Picopole. I think that's a pretty interesting varietal. I know there's a lot of people growing it, but... Before. Are there... Yeah, I know that Todd is, but that's... Todd and... Keeling. Keeling is... And I think Kent is growing it, too. Yes. And those are the big three, and I think we need to see more... No, and, uh... Flying Leap is growing it, too. Nice. So you got four places that are growing it. I think we need mm-hmm. to see more of that. Um, I actually drank the Meschioli today on Mingus Mountain while I was hiking. And was it delicious? It was delicious. It was cool. mostly Peekable, too. Yeah, yeah. It's getting great reviews. I haven't had it yet. Um, well, shit, had I known, I would have brought you the rest of the bottle. I can probably find a bottle, I bet. Jessica Basis is getting out there. Ah, I missed all the rosé in cans because he's all out of it now. I know, it was really good. I got one at the Devoured event. It was good. It was a really smart move. It was making news, you know, like some Oregon winery made news because they were putting rosé in cans. I was like, shit, Arizona, go top. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. It had a, it had a little fizz to it, and it was super refreshing. I, I, would, I was, was hoping smart. to grab some of that, but it was long gone by the time I got a chance to ask. Um... I'd like to see more Petit Verdot, but that's already we know is good. Mm-hmm. Other grapes on the wish list is Cenetichia, which is uh, Greek white. Mm-hmm. 
I'd like to see again more of the Portuguese varietals here too. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? And that's kind of my wish list. But Saparavi is big because mm-hmm. I think just looking at everything I've heard about it. I mean, case in point, they're growing it in the Barossa Valley in Australia. Mm-hmm. They're growing it in the Finger Lakes, opposite extremes. And they're also growing it now in Kansas, of all places. And my friend Sarah's on the ground there, and I have her... I've told her, when they release this opera, I'll be buy a bottle for me. I will recoup you the cost, even if it's up to $100. Nice. Because I need to see what that grape does there. Right. I mean, what this conversation does is make me want to just travel and drink wines. Like, spend two years figuring out yeah. what, we should, what else we could plant. Yeah. i got to get out of the country more and all over the country more yeah. <laughs> to make these decisions. Dang it. Yeah, right? It's too big a list. It is. We need to <laughs> well, get a that's why you just need a hundred acres <laughs> and just find an acre of everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sheesh. That'd be one hell of a <laughs> yeah, field blend, too. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work. Lay blend. Lay blend. You've got to try this 13 Franchi. It's fantastic. It's young and tight, but it smells so pretty. I was horrified. I know. I'm sorry. Well, then. If it's young and tight, I guess I have no, no so choice. Pretty. Don't talk about her room. This is what, I know, this one is like the 90s, she says that. <laughs> Such a nice nose. Can't oh, wow. Here. I know, it's super vibrant. The pencil shavings and banana from the Petit Verdot were there, and then you've got this bright sort of spiced fruit. Mm. We should interview them. <laughs> what? When the children pop their head out, I said we should interview them. Oh. It's just the real tumbleweed. Yeah, kind of Sitting around this story. table with the uh, children. How boring, to... how boring it all is. Yeah, you want to know the real owners? <laughs> <laughs> there they are. In your experience, what varietals have are the easiest to work with in terms of winemaking? Um, I think it's less the varietal and more the grower that saves you the work. But definitely... The biggest challenge here in Arizona is rot, and really the anytime the time you need to intervene the most often is is when there's rain challenges from you know from the seller's perspective. So things that things that are rot prone are not very much fun to work with, which is why I tend to stay away from Zinfandel and Primitivo. You know, Petite Syrah can be a challenge, but people seem to be plugging away with it regardless. You know, there's some whites. Pinot Gris, Grigio can be challenging sometimes with rot and some other ones as well. And that's probably the biggest concern. Like the biggest bummer is to get fruit with any degree of rot from the monsoons here. So to me, that's probably my biggest concern. What, what do you guys, both of you guys think about the pH sitch? I don't think it's that big of a deal. You don't? I mean, there's fruit from Central Coast that's four pH and, mm-hmm. you know, low TA and, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a huge deal here. I think up in Page Springs, acids are solid, right? You they're can, ripping. Man. Yeah, you they're can, crazy. You, Jeff gets yeah. really solid acids. And yeah, the stuff on the hillsides, yeah, the threes, for sure. But rot, rot to me is the... Numero uno. It's the biggest downer is when things go that direction. What do you do when you see rot? Do you call a pick? Or I don't even know how you deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been easier to deal with. I mean, we had the rainiest year last year, and there was no hardly any rot in our varietals. We didn't see much rot. No, I think, you know, it's, it's all about fruit management and the people that drop fruit mm-hmm. and pull leaves and making open space for the 
clusters won't have rot regardless because yes. i've you know i spray organic stuff at page springs and some people spray other stuff but it seems to be more related to how your canopies managed this year was pretty rough and rot was not that big of an issue it's yeah. i saw a map of the united states and it showed our area to be a really wet summer so we should brace ourselves just so yeah. So another wet summer then? It showed a really wet hmm. summer. I don't know. I mean, obviously, how can you tell if it's just a colored map with rain on it? But <laughs> that's what the forecast for the summer was. Yeah. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, however, we're, it seems to me like we're set up for a really early harvest, so maybe we'll miss some of the monsoons this year. Yeah, that was kind of. I mean, already the petite verdot on my deck is butted out and leafed out. Mm -hmm. The to not budwood I have still has not done anything, which makes me wonder if it's if I planted it too late or if I took care of it improperly when it was budwood or whatever. Because mm -hmm. that'd be nice to have some to not on my deck. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. it's not going to do anything this year for another two years, but the way my petite verdot looks is that <laughs> if it flowers at all, I'm probably going to have some fruit this year, and it's already only a year old, which is ridiculous, and sitting in a pot on my deck. Well, if you ever want to throw those clusters into our wines, we could do like with the spice of Cody, wine monk. <laughs> with added wine monk, a little picture yeah. of you smiling. <laughs> wine monk approved. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I've, I've already told you guys this, but if you ever want to name a wine after me, go ahead. Thanks. You know that will happen. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so going again, talking about the 2014 vintage, what shows the most promise out of the 2014s that you've made? That's a tough question. It is. Joe, Joe did some really cool stuff um, in the cellar <laughs> that I can speak about, but I, I mean, I don't know that I have any. It really depends good. on the mood for me. Yeah, you know, it what, does. What wine I'm. Jeff, what do you think time. about some of the fruits that you saw and transported? And anything stick in your mind as a memory? No, I think it's hard. Yeah. yeah it is really hard to say. I mean, we're we're working more and more with. I mean, right now with Cimarron vineyards and. You know, the quality of the fruit is amazing. So, you know, that Tempranillo and Syrah from him is, and Graciano is driving a fair amount of our blends for 2014 in the reds. Yeah, it's it was beautiful fruit mm -hmm. this year. The prettiest that I've yeah, ever no, seen. I'm, I'm happy to get fruit from Cimarron and Todd as long as we can. The, Ar the Arnaise is fantastic. Mm -hmm. We're just yeah, drinking mm -hmm. it right now. It was That's nice to... Yeah, yeah, the Arnaise and Verdello came in at, like, really good numbers yeah. this year. Now it's triggering my memory. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know it's hard to remember when yeah. you have so much going on swirling up there, but, yeah. Not to mention, crush season is always a blur anyway. It yeah. is. Yeah, right. Dra Dragoon's Whites came in really beautiful mm -hmm. this year. Yeah. Thumbs up, for sure. We got a... We made one whopping barrel of Cab Franc from... It's actually... It's... You know, Little Frankie is half Cab Franc from Michael Pierce's and Dan Pierce's Rolling View Vineyard, and that stuff is gorgeous. It's, it's amazing. It's a real geeky Cab Franc, but for you know, real Cab Franc fans, it's it's something it's something special. Yeah. So. Super high standards down there. Definitely. Yeah. Dan yeah. is super meticulous. There's a two. This is a podcast. You should do as Dan Pierce. Oh, yeah. I would love to. I've done. He's, I've done one with Michael. Have he's you met Eric. Dan yet? I did. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. you have to do it. Yeah, he's so a character, but he's a hard worker. Like you know, like anything coming out of that. Thing. I'm sure the whole family. I'm sure Michael's down there a lot too. But Dan's just relentless to 
relentless. It's <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, we know Michael more and love the hell out of him, but Dan is just like his own interesting character. Jeff has a good relationship with him. They talk like salty sailors together. <laughs> <laughs> Dan talks like a salty sailor to everyone. <laughs> that would be a fun name for a wine, too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Right? Yeah. Except for I hate salty wines. I really do. They piss me off. Well, it doesn't have to be an actual salty wine, no, per se. Right. <laughs> But they have a really cool vineyard that's, you know, a little more austere and a little more restrained, mm -hmm. I think, than a lot of the vineyards, like, right next door to them. And so, you know, I would love to keep getting fruit from those guys and keep getting that Cab Franc. So, Hell that's, yeah. we're, you know, that's 24 cases, but that would be a cool little barrel to bottle. In both Rolling View and Cimarron, you can just sense the love in the fruit. It's just, like, so obvious that they're putting straight love into their lives. they're next-door neighbors, and, yeah. it's, and it's very different character. For sure. This is going to be a, another wild question, tangentially related. What, in your opinion, is your favorite wine that you guys have made? Wow. <laughs> your face. That's tough. Your face. It's really hard. I'll stick by the Wild Willie Cox 2012. I think it's a, if I have to, I mean, stuck in the sales role a lot, you have to find something that really shows the entirety of what your team is doing. And Willie shows Arizona's fruit, um, who we are, which is kind of restrained, but interesting. It's got a good backbone. It can pair really well with food. It's fruity and romantic, um, but not a hammer, and I just think it keeps getting better. And I've shown it to quite a few psalms and they get it, and it's nice to show a wide variety of people a wine from Arizona and not watch them turn their nose up or be an asshole about it. So I, I'll say Willie. Right now, obviously, it'll change, but... What about you, Kim? It's so hard to say. Sometimes I'm so in love with one of them. I was so in love with little Frankie, and she's kind of goes through like awkward teenager phases like mm -hmm. how she looks and you know she goes out of favor and yeah, they when, just when you're around so a wine a bunch you, you definitely go through ups and downs with them yeah i watch joe kind of go through like catatonic depression sometime about like what a wine's doing and then like a couple months later it can be like the best one in the cellar or the best one in the bottle in his opinion so it's Shit. so hard to say i can't decide i have strong feelings about Willie to the Wild Willie Cox. Just I think I've probably learned more from that wine than mm -hmm. any other wine. But then I also like right now Ron Bot to me is just yeah, and he's kind of I'm feeling the doctor right yeah, now. Yeah, he's kind of sure different why. than like he's a different expression. Well, I mean they it all are. Feels obviously. very you know it's, it's like not a true Chateauneuf blend at all, but it feels very Chateauneuf. It does. Yeah, he does. Um, but then, like, uh, the, there's yeah. two new Syrah, uh, Cimarron Vineyards, Vineyard-designated Syrah and Tempranillo that we mm. pretty much just labeled and probably Open we haven't tank. even really officially released. And I'm really proud of those because I think those are wines that you could, you could pour for anybody and they could possibly argue that they could hold their own with any wine. Yeah, definitely. Like it, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually like a rave review from Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. everything here. <laughs> Jesse, yeah. what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I, little Frankie, I guess, always comes back to... I don't know. It goes, it goes, it goes yeah, around. I mean, Arnais, I'm a white wine fan, yeah. so I guess... What do you think about know. Sandy? She's oh, Sandy's fantastic. amazing. The Descendants, I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. No, I love our whites. I mean, 
That's right. You guys can no longer really describe yourselves as, o- as Arizona's only non-award-winning winery. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pissed that I did it that. Was short-sighted. It was a moment of weakness. Short-sighted Bro. marketing. Yeah. <laughs> we said like one contest a year, and I don't know. There was just everyone gets so flared up when contest season comes around. So, yeah. And then you feel like a dork when people are like, "What did you enter? What did you place?" And you don't participate. So then you. I don't know, you just have to participate every once in a while, I think. It's strange to be. Well, you know, we're in Arizona, and there's still a, there's a lot of, there are a lot of people who are doubters. And, yeah, you know, for sure. I don't necessarily think contests are a way toward legitimacy, but we still it kind of helps our industry, yeah. I think. Press is yeah. good. It's not, I mean, winemaking is not wrestling, but still, press is good. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough conundrum to be in, but... You don't want to enter contests, but you want your industry to do well and your business to do well. And, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just have weak morals. You do, definitely. We all do. That's so what the... makes us human. <laughs> so is a seminarian. <laughs> we were talking about the hookers and blow, really, yeah. in, Joe's, in Joe's instance. But... <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Edit out the just kidding part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Tommy. Powered by Hookers and Blow. The interview right there. <laughs> Actually, that might be what I opened the podcast with. <laughs> right, right there. That's pretty good. Just be like. <laughs> <laughs> Joe just saying, I might have weak morals. Certainly not, Joe. Chop. So we mentioned the labels earlier, which I've referred to as reverse mullets. Yeah, it took, me, they are, it took me a long time to understand I that. I love all the that way. description. I was actually kind of didn't see it at first and was like confused. Happy. No, I like it too. Yeah. You know, it's party in the front, business in the back. What's the idea behind doing that label style? Because no one else in Arizona is really doing that. Um, and providing honest. that information on the back of where this wine is coming from and that's it's pH just, and its acidity and how it was made. It's, it's yeah, the backs, Joe, and the fronts, you know, mainly Chris. I mean, you know, we, we all joke around about like the kind of laughy part of it and right. like the. But Chris came with that imagery that one day, like the headed tumbleweed people, and we just all like, oh my god, that's it. But Joe, I think Joe's always been about the backs being business. For sure, oh. Joe's definitely, but also think about all of our frustration over and over. We'd sit around with tons of bottles of wine and try to figure out through many Google sessions yeah. where the wine was coming from, what made up the wine, who made it, and it's really annoying not to be able to know. So we wanted to provide that information to people. Which right is away. especially helpful for me when I'm trying yeah. to review something. You know, it's half a page springs, I'm just like, Okay, so it's it says this is Arizona Malvasia. Which of five vineyards growing Malvasia is this? Yeah. And then the people at the tasting room who, they're often wonderful people, but they don't always know all the information. When I come around and ask them pointed questions, and they just throw up their hands and go, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know anything, I just started here. Yep. Yeah. No, I've had this... I've had this I think that transparency is important. It is, and I've had yeah. to sell quite a few pieces of smoke and mirrors in all of my life, and it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so it's, it's a lot hard easier to, pass to be all honest. That information along to everybody, also. But you know, for me, I'm I'm a geek, and there are things I want to know, and there are things I appreciate being on a bottle of wine, and I try to get all of those. There are still a few things that are not on there that I would like to get on, but we'll get there. Uh, yeah, we'll have some on the website one day. 
talks about <laughs> what we don't use and what we don't do and but yeah. the, what, what we were eating that day. So going to that that question or that raises a new question that I didn't even think about. So it's your fault. Um, <laughs> what don't you do with your wines? We don't do. I I don't do much. You know I I think. If you're on top of it during harvest, you don't really need to do a lot, and that's the key to it. And planning. So you know, there's all kinds of additions you can make. We do use enzyme for <laughs> a maceration and clarification. That's really like one of the only weird chemicals we use. We don't use bentonite. Fine, I don't heat stabilize, so we don't use bentonite and whites. We don't we don't find whites at all. I only find a few whites in my entire life, and that was. That was all rod issues. We don't use tannins. We don't use mega purple. We don't use mega purple. <laughs> you know, we will. That would be an awesome band name. Mega purple. <laughs> mega purple opening for Cult of Malvasia. <laughs> what is mega purple for those who it's don't a concentrate? Know? So um, color, you can add color. It's 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 mostly anthocyanins that you can add to a wine and make it much darker than it actually would have been if you had made it naturally. So there's you know there are a lot of things you can add, but we really don't do a lot of that. You know we we'll, we use enzyme, a little bit of sulfite. Uh, we do add a little bit of acid in situations where you need to. Uh, tartaric acid, grape derived. Yeast. Yeast, filter if you need to, don't filter if you don't, which means most of the reds are unfiltered. We do filter all the whites because we inhibit malolactic fermentation to keep us our acid as much acid as we can. We had ML. Yeah, we had ML bacteria, but... Why do you think no one is doing malolactic fermentation on whites in Arizona? Um, there are some people. Uh, I know Michael Pierce did an ML positive, I think it was a Viognier that... You know, it was around when he bottled. So it's being done. I think, you know, for me, I want to keep as much acid as possible. So I don't really want to, you know, there's not a ton of malic acid, but you may as well hang on to that really intense, strong acid since most of our white wines are a little challenged in that realm. So for me, it's about preserving as much acid as possible. I, you know, there's, there's kind of the unfiltered movement that I'll let them influence me with reds, but... I kind of like keeping as much acid as I, natural acid as I can in the whites. I think most people are like that, but I know there are some guys doing, you know, I know at Page Springs when I was there, we tinkered with some ML positive stuff. And for me, it's it just gets a little round and marshmallowy, and I'm not a big fan. That's you know, there's, it, really. There's so many things you can throw into a wine that we don't. So in that sense, this would make these wines then vegan, in a, in a sense. Well, uh, Chris and I have been vegetarians for 20. 18 to 20 years. Yeah. I've been a vegetarian for 18. So I try to, to think about that as much as possible. You know, the only time a wine would not be vegan is if you use egg whites to fine it. In, in our situation, egg whites to fine it or some kind of fining agent like gelatin or isinglass, which is... Fit from fish, fish swim bladders. But yeah, I try not to not use any of that stuff. And I think about when I was younger, all the sh crappy cheap wines we used to have to drink and how crappy it would feel in your stomach and the flush, and I feel like that's all additives. Yeah, and people always ask, like, why Why is it when I drink a bunch of red wine I get a headache? It's like you probably Stop drink some barefoot. cheap, crappy wine right. that's got a bunch of oak powder in it or God knows what else they've done to it. Mm-hmm. 
Frankenstein so, wine. Yeah. That would be another fun name. <laughs> Cub Frankenstein. It'd have to be Cub Frankenstein. Or Triga Frankenstein. We do have the stink beast in. We in do have, yes. Oh, so, so speaking of the stink beast, <laughs> um, lying in wait, you should really just call it Cthulhu and be done with it. <laughs> what is in store for Chateau Tumbleweed? Mm. Big things. Yeah, definitely huge. <laughs> what are the big things that are huge that you can talk about? Hugely big things. That you'd like to announce here? Mm. Or if anything. We're about to have a toilet in our tasting room bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> that is huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge stuff. The doors are going to go up. The soon. doors are going up soon. We have we got yellow bins in, which are so bright and we exciting. Have some yellow yeah. picking bins now. Um, the, 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 wine, the winery is slowly getting close to opening. The yeah, yeah. Room Our tasting room will be open soon. Jeff is going to start putting some new trees in really soon and building a small fence for the patio seating, which is really beautiful. Um, we're about to plumb the chiller so we could. Ice Are you going to be growing vines on the uh, patio? No, not Only yet. Only if they're in pots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or town coat. So where's the tasting room located for those who are don't know? 1151 West State Route 89A, Clarkdale, Arizona. 86324. Yeah. It is shares the driveway with Olson's Grains on the 89A roundabout side if you're yeah. heading towards Jerome. Very exciting for us. It's big time. We're just, yeah. you know, humble basically workers so it's really exciting to have our dream coming into fruition really fast and we're pushing on it hard and it's happening really quick for us we're lucky and grateful so what wines are you going to be releasing at the opening or have you figured out yet yeah you know we haven't released the 2013 bigness the 2013 little Franke, 2013 cimarron um syrah 2013 cimarron tempranillo which we're drinking right now and holy freaking right? shit it's so good what do you think it's it's like we we've it's gone in the bottle and we haven't spent a heck of a lot of time with it really it's fantastic it's definitely one of the top three tempranillos in the state i've tasted for sure Sweet. We only made a barrel of it, so... Good thing I have I got a bottle when I was bottling. <laughs> it's true. Thank you for bottling noise. Yes. The Line Monk very much supports us in slave labor, which we really appreciate. Oh, yeah, it's not entirely slave know. labor. I get paid in wine, which you is do. always good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what else Usually is happening. That's ex- oh, we will also probably release... We have a 2014 Miss Sandy Jones, a 2014 Arnace, a 2014 Verdelio, and a 2014 Rosé. Um, which are waiting for label approval and then the print of the labels. So they might be a, maybe a, a couple of weeks behind the tasting room opening, but they'll be we'll, there. We'll have a lot of wines to pour yeah, there. We also have three that we've just released that are probably not being poured anywhere. They're not, yeah. yeah, the, so, yeah. We could easily well have, have 12, 15 wines to pour. Yeah, we're, we're actually in a really great position because we have wines that are uh, bottle aging right now, which is fantastic because I know... That's really rare. Yeah, it is rare. We, I uh, want to keep, keep that part of the program as much as possible, but we've yeah. used the bottle for close to a year or nine months before we release them. I think, mm-hmm. it, I think it really helps. Well, yeah, I mean, this Tempranillo is fantastic, but it'll be amazing in three, four, five months. Which is not when I'm going to drink mine. <laughs> it's probably... I'm, are you going to hold it longer? It is in my wine fridge. I have four wine fridges now. Mm-hmm. 
I have two of it that are denoted for reviews. That's awesome. Because <laughs> I keep getting more and more and more, and I'm just like, you know, the whole reason why I, I started the blog in the first place is because when I started writing for the noise, people would say, oh, you need to review this, you need to review that, and so I'd buy bottles or occasionally be gifted a bottle. And it's like, okay, I'll put it in the stack, and then you know, the stack got too big, and it's just like there's no way I can get these with just 12 finds a year. So how can I expand this? Right. Okay, blog. And then from there, the podcast kind of developed from that. It's kind of a joke Mm -hmm. um, because two of my friends got engaged, and I sent them two bottles Mm -hmm. as their presents. And then they said, well, we should drink drink them together over Skype, and then you should record it and turn it into a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was like... That's a great idea. Exactly. That is kind of a neat, neat thing to do with distant friends and stuff. Uh, it's connected to back when uh, Mia and I were in college and we would always get drunk together over Skype all the time, just like dealing with problems in our life and just that would be our sessions of just hanging out and let's just vent over wine or booze or whiskey or something. But yeah, that's kind of how the podcast thing started. It was just kind of by accident. It's like, well, okay, and then there. And then it's also a great way for me to get to talk to people, learn about the industry that I found myself in. Because mm-hmm. someday I would like to have a vineyard of my own, maybe. Nice. Someday. So anyway, that, that's how that kind of all got started. And I like to cool. help the wineries when I can, just help, you know, providing myself with slave labor, more or less, for bottling and that sort of thing. But in the end, I also have two fridges. One is for whites only, mm-hmm. for pleasure drinking, or whites for aging, which... I have um, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, and the 2014 Malvasil is from Stronghold. I'm hoping to save up for a vertical tasting. No one's really done that research. No, you're right. And then, so someone has to, and it might as well be me. And since I love Malvasia so much, and I drink so much Arizona Malvasia, you know, it might as well be me. I agree. I'll bite that bullet. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fine, I'll do it. God. Well, you are doing a great service to the Arizona industry. Um, I think I really like the... I like your job, and I think you're doing a great job at it. Well, thank you. It means a lot to to be liked. Because there are some some days where I feel like I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) We talk about it a lot. I I have that same issue. (laughs) The human condition, right? (laughs) But we do. The four of us talk about it a lot. We like how unbiased you are, and that you're joyful about what you're doing, and it makes everyone feel good. And you don't have a bunch of negativity running through your words, which we really like. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, you're a good you're reviewer. You're the premier reviewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Well, keep, so far, I already am, because no one else has stepped up to the plate, yeah, as far as I'm aware. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're, 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 yeah you're, you're years ahead of them anyway, uh, or trying to get on your tail. Yeah. It doesn't matter. When Wine Spectator finally pulls its head out of its ass and starts <laughs> raiding Arizona wine again. I like to imagine you driving by and yeah. flipping them off and taking a picture. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I would, totally. <laughs> the whole, their whole rating system is I have so many issues with because Agreed. it's literally like six people sitting in an ivory tower going over their glass going, mm, this wine has the tears of the undead children right. and yeah. aged truffle oil from the island of Rhodes. Yeah, and right. I'm not much of a fan. Germaniums from Bavaria. Right, yes, right, right. quite. This wine is acceptable. It gets an 85. Right. Mm. Isn't that subjective? It's your experience, and you can't get, like, five rich people in a room doing that it? That publication could disappear tomorrow, and I wouldn't know this. Yeah, yeah, same here. Same with the competitions. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Uh, and that's one of the things I really do like about the Arizona industry is just how much we just don't really give a fuck about what other people's opinions are. <laughs> we, we do care our own very much about what the grape is, like what the earth has to offer. Like that's whenever I have to try to write about our niche for nerdy admin things, I end up saying a lot about how we try to let the earth do what it does best, and then Joe does a good job of just kind of reading it and. Just I, I, I think it. we're all yeah. convinced that we know we're on to something, so it's not really an issue amongst us, but amongst anyone outside of the state and, and a few people still within. It's this big. Well, it's surprising. Well, you've already got a fangirl in Kansas, so. Nice. It, it is surprising. I, we're all so past the point of having any kind of like, is it going to be credible? Is it going to be good feelings anywhere in our subconscious that it's weird when you encounter someone who still has that like creepy banjo sound when you're saying Arizona wine? <laughs> and you feel like you're the guy from Deliverance that's just showing them a wine. And you're like, oh shit, people still think that. No, I, but they yeah. do. They the, do. The yeah. problem is because. Arizona does a piss poor job of marketing itself outside of Phoenix. Yes. Absolutely. Everyone, and I'm running into this problem with my current girlfriend who lives in Virginia. She's, we'll talk about her later. We'll talk about her later. She was convinced for the longest time that all of Arizona was desert, all of Arizona was hot, all of Arizona was horrible and ugly. Right. Yeah, a lot of people. And that's, like that. that's a lot of you And know, it's just, people. I literally had to like send her like photos from my deck with me going and waving. Going, yeah. hey, this is what Arizona's really like. It's snowing. And then, yeah, it's snowing. And then she also hates the politics. And, and yeah, Arizona yeah. politics is weird. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, that's because everyone's, the power is concentrated in Phoenix with old, crazy people. Right. Uh, the rest of the state is not like that. And no. so many people either associate Arizona with crappy politics because of Phoenix or with all of Arizona being desert and ugly or like harsh and sun with. Vultures and I always try to think that they I imagine remember that Snoopy comic where he would write to his cousin and needles and like the Snoopy would write from the top of his doghouse and his needles cousin would have like just this open space of nothing and like a bunch of what are the I'm sorry, what are those cactus? Oh the Suaros. Suaros. Yeah. And it, he looked hot and the sun was beating. <laughs> I was yeah, do you remember that? No. No, no, one no else the does. needles <laughs> is like the worst. No, no, I always think that when I see people's needles face, is not all of it like all of Arizona. <laughs> no, but I think that's what I think people see. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I always imagine they must have read too much Snoopy. No, just sand <laughs> sand dunes and vultures and yeah, yeah. Oh, and needles is California. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I I really I've been drinking Arizona wine for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, there's only been really one Arizona wine I couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. And that was the very first one I had at 21, which set me off for an entire year. It happens, yeah. Thank you, Cocapelli Winery. We, yeah. we, <laughs> I know some I, know I some may be unbiased, but they're the only ones I'm... You know, they, they will have to kowtow to me if they want me to change their uh, my opinion of them because of that one wine was so bad. Well, they're not. I don't believe they're actually Arizona fruit anymore either. No, too. they're not legit. So yeah, we'll just yeah, let them go well, away. It's not. You know, it's not what most other people are doing here. They're kind of the anomaly now, where they used to be. They were huge. They, yeah. When I first got into this industry, they were like, that was Arizona wine. It was. I remember in Phoenix, there was a couple of restaurants that they owned, like with Cocapelli only bottles sold, and that stuff has gone away by the wayside, which is fantastic to watch. The consumers are choosing Arizona wine that's genuinely expressing our Talar, which is great. Absolutely. As someone who loves Talar, 
Mm-hmm. And who thinks that, you know, yeah, I'm biased because I'm a native Arizonan, but I really think that Arizona has some of the most fantastic landscapes and fantastic geologic history of any state. Absolutely. Yeah. And it yeah. shows in the wine. It really does. Yeah. Uh, like we were talking earlier, a lot of the Arizona whites and some of the reds have that sea salt tang mm-hmm. because this also used to be ocean floor. Right. You can taste the heat of the volcanoes. Yeah. And, and all of the stuff goes into it. And it's just. I'm always baffled by the elevation and the cool climate character that we get like you know people imagine these crazy deserts and it's like no we have we have cool climate issues more than hot climate issues it's just a beautiful it's a beautiful state did you guys see the like way that the clouds were playing on the mountain yesterday today too it's beautiful out right Mm -hmm. now i spent you know part of the day today up on mingus mountain drinking the mescioli and staring at staring at hermit thrushes and bluebirds it's so beautiful the green from the rain yeah it's gorgeous it's a cool state so last question i think possibly (laughs) <laughs> Probably ten more will come up while I'm thinking of this question. For now. <laughs> Last question. For now. <laughs> this is the question, of course, I ask everybody. If you were a grape, what grape would you be and why? I know already your answer is for me. It's Alicante Boucher and Tanat, I think. It's, it's kind uh, of I came time. up with that. Abby asked me what I thought about wine monk, and I was like, oh, he's Alicante Boucher. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Carignan. Mm-hmm. Why Carignan? Oh. Joey's secret little fantasy. It's got a lot of good acid. It's a little spicy. It's mm. a little, it's a little sour and a little dark and a little, a little bit of everything. It's mm-hmm. true. I like it. <laughs> it. Makes sense. He likes Joe likes high acid tones. He is a bit of a dandy. <laughs> He's a wee bit foppish. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Oh, my gut instinct right away, which I'll just go with without thinking about it, would be Viognier, and I think that's because it's got. Some femininity, but it also has a really nice tone of earth. I always think of it as a nice cross between a super aromatic white and like a an earthy um, Chardonnay, and it's kind of a good crossover grape too. It'll turn people onto whites who usually like reds, and it's not overpowering. I guess I had to go with Roussan. I'm just fascinated, fascinated by it. Like you know, it's like June, still hasn't bud burst. It just (laughs) sleeps forever, comes out. It came out before June, but. (laughs) <laughs> well, so this year everything is out before June. I love that. Yeah, I love the taste. Roussan today. I like that. Kim? All right, I'm going to say Merlot because nice. I enjoy that everyone goes, oh, I don't drink Merlot. <laughs> and I also really like that our very, very first wine, our only Yavapai County fruit is Merlot. 100% Merlot. And uh, it's doing weird things. Like Joe will compare it to a Nebbiolo for like body. Is that mm-hmm. right? And, in characters, and I'm excited by it. I like the one that everyone goes ah, about. It's this was very, the whole cluster? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it's very Nebula. <laughs> Where was the fruit from? Alcantara. That's what started us, yeah. We that was the first drawing that Chris did. Have you had it? Yeah, you'll yeah. love it. I can't believe you haven't had it. Well, we, yeah. we started with it. Really really like it down. Like, maybe it's, I mean, I don't know. Well, it took a long time to wake up. It's still just... It's barely waking up. It's yeah, it's a it's Let a, it's a yeah. different beast. For sure. It is. It's it's like a. I always think of it as this huge ace in the hole that no one knows that we have. Yeah. It'll be great. Like when it goes in the wine club, it'll be a great surprise. Mm, man, yeah. Go out three or four years later. 
It's our only 11, so. How did that happen? Well, that's, yeah. you know, that's really part of the nexus of Tumbleweed, too, is we just kind of went for it and bought those. We made that wine at Alcantara, and then we bought a few barrels and just took the plunge, really. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. We didn't know how we were going to do it. That's it. We're going for it. Screw it. Let's do it. We've been doing that ever since. It's been working for us. Yeah, we're void of plans. <laughs> I, I will interject and say that's very untrue because yeah. most of the people I know are very void of plans and we are the most over-planning people in the whole world. However, when well, it there's comes... Some, some peop- there's some people who would say we're... Yeah, of course, there's that. We're dreamers and we're never going to let that go, but for sure we're... We shouldn't. Yeah, we'll always be yeah. planned, but we don't know exactly how our path is going to go. That's what makes yeah. life exciting. Well, you know, you know, listen to what's things. happening. So yeah. Can't make something happen that doesn't want to. No, we're never gonna force it. Yeah, we're more reactive to what's going on than we are, like, you know. How the future is gonna go. Yeah. You know, you need something, and fingers crossed, it's gonna come. The weed prevails, as the dude would say. <laughs> yeah. The say. weed prevails. <laughs> <laughs> well, alrighty, gang. With that, the weed abides. The weed abides. <laughs> Until Thanks. next time, guys. Thank you, Wine Monk. Thank you, Thank you for letting me join you this night. And you guys listening, have a great night as well. <laughs>